Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to Why Not Mint Money. I am Shipra from Mint's personal finance team. In today's episode, I will chit chat with Bank Bazaar CEO Adil Shetty to know about his personal finance journey as part of our special Guru Portfolio series. Hi, welcome to Why Not Mint Money. a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth so let's get started on your money journey hi adil and welcome to why not mint money hi shipra great to be here so adil let's start by understanding what is your current asset mix right now between equity debt gold real estate and alternate asset class So my distribution is as follows in terms of my uh, liquid investments 80% is in equity 20% is in debt uh, I own uh, the house that I and my family live in and that is my uh, uh, only real estate investment no gold or uh, alternate asset exposure so um, you know I do have to buy Uh, gold in terms of the anniversary gift and the birthday gift that I need to you know ensure that uh, my wife is aligned with the way I think about investing, uh, but it's limited to the sentimental value of uh, the gold uh, we buy. It's more it's more for the for the design and what what she enjoys. Uh, currently, I don't have any uh, alternate investment, but I should call out something. Uh, I have my equity ownership. as a founder at bank bazaar and one would say that that is you know a startup alternate investment so i don't go the route of uh, investing in a vc fund or in an angel fund but given my ownership uh, as being a co-founder of bank bazaar one could say i have significant exposure in terms of alternate investment in the fintech or the startup space right and among the asset classes that you just mentioned uh, how has your portfolio performed over the past one year my uh, asset allocation especially given that it's primarily equity right uh, tends to be uh, on the index funds now if you look at the index over the last decade right uh, i have gotten about uh, 12% cagr on my investment but keep in mind uh, this is a passive index fund it tracks you know the bse sensex or the or the nifty 50 but i've been able to just using this passive investment strategy i actually don't have financial advisor i believe in following the index fund route i've been able to achieve a 12% cag over the last decade right adil as you mentioned that you don't have an investment advisor considering that you're an hni uh, but you don't uh, you know take help of any pmss services or a professional advisor why is that So uh, you know when I went to graduate school uh, at Columbia one of the tenets of uh, corporate finance we learned over there is that the market typically performs better than uh, actively managed funds now I'm sure there are exceptions and I'll talk about them but if you look at the one year period ending June 2021 and one would say it was a fairly turbulent period right uh, when covid uh, and and the pandemic had affected uh, everyone the index funds uh in a majority of cases uh outperformed the actively managed funds so i fundamentally believe that uh, on on average the index will outperform managed funds which is why you know i i tend to have a light touch approach uh you know i i i'm actively involved 
uh, with managing my, my business. Uh, I have uh, a lot of experience in retail credit, uh, in understanding how that works. And when it comes to the stock market, you know, I like to have an approach which I believe uh, will work for the long run. It'll work for my uh, daughter's education. It'll work for my retirement savings, but also an approach which is easily understood by me and people in my family. So we tend to go with uh, index funds. So the BSC Sensex index fund, the Nifty 50 index fund. Uh, and uh, we believe that uh, the experience we've had and also the data, like I said, clearly calls out that in the majority of cases, the index has outperformed actively managed funds. Now, that being said, right, uh, I do understand that there are exceptions and that stands out in the data too. So, for example, if you were to look at, let's say, the small cap category or you were to look at a category where uh, the index won't take exposure, for example, startups or fintechs, I do understand there are exceptions, but I think I'm, I'm happy uh, with what 12% uh, CAGR I've been able to achieve with the passive BSC, uh, Sensex and the Nifty 50 fund. A couple of things I am considering, however, Shipra, is that there are now uh, new index funds which can move you from a market weightage. So, for example, the challenge with, let's say, the BSC Sensex or the Nifty 50 is if you take the top 10 companies, they typically are 66% weightage because the big companies tend to dominate uh, the index. But today there are equal weight weightage index funds available. So what that means is I can take the Nifty 50 uh, and without going heavy on the big companies, because I believe that uh, the smaller companies will will do better over time uh, as the better ones start to innovate and grow faster than you know what are today the largest companies. But what I can do with an equal weightage fund is that each share in the Nifty 50 equal weightage index gets an equal investment. So that's something I'm constrained. Another thing I'm constrained, right, is just broad basing, like I said, because you never know where the winners are coming from. And at the end of the day, the Nifty 50 or the BSC Sensex uh, does have a two-third weightage on the top 10 companies by market cap. Another thing I'm constrained is moving to uh, an index which covers a larger number of companies. For example, uh, an index which has 100 companies in it or even 200 companies listed in it. So the two diversifications I'm considering along the lines of a passive uh, index fund is one to consider an allocation to an equal weight index fund and the other is to contain, uh, consider an allocation to an index fund which has 100 to 200 companies versus the 30 or 50 that the main index has. Right. Have you ever invested in direct stocks, Adil? Great question, uh, uh, Shipra. And I, I get this asked all the time. So my answer is no. I have never invested in, in direct stock. Not that, you know, one can't make a lot of money with uh, direct stock. But what I find with myself and with most investors, right, is that we're very busy managing our uh, business. We are busy managing our personal lives. Now, we obviously need to be smart about money because protecting wealth is as important as making wealth. Uh, and what I find is if one were to distill the principles of personal finance, uh, they're actually quite straightforward. You know, you don't need to be an active investor picking stock, taking risk in order to reap the rewards of uh, what happens in the stock market. Uh, I think two things greatly influenced me. Like I said, one was my education uh, that the market or the index presents the efficient frontier between risk and return and i do understand that there are 
exceptions to this but frankly i i don't have the insight or the time to clearly pick out the winners and losers either amongst stocks or amongst actively managed funds so i i i tend to go with the index so because of that uh, interestingly a uh, i don't have a fund manager i follow the simple principles in fact uh, bank bazaar and i are publishing a book with some of these simple rules that people can follow and secondly right uh, i don't invest in direct stock just because i know they can make a lot of money but i don't want to take that kind of risk i would rather play the index uh, mutual fund and gain the benefit over the long term uh, as the entire market grows so anil you know in my chats with entrepreneurs what i usually find is that uh, for the longest time they don't segregate their personal finances and business finances so how has your journey been on that front and when did you start segregating the two and how do you do it yeah yeah great uh, question shipra uh, see i understand what you're saying about entrepreneurs mixing their personal finance and business finance interestingly for me that was never an issue and i'll explain why but i had a different set of challenges i had to overcome which i'll talk about so the reason the separation was easy for me right is very early on bank bazaar the company which i co-founded started raising institutional money so we had the you know the walden the sequoia uh the amazons of the world investing and when that kind of investment happens the segregation is automatic uh because you know at that point in time you're a professionally run company you're presenting uh quarterly uh, mises uh you're going through you know all of these due diligences that each round of financing so the segregation between business institutional money and personal happened right from day one so i think fortunately that was driven by the discipline that comes with taking institutional money from a sequoia from a from an amazon from a from an experience now the challenge i faced was a little different the challenge i faced right is i was so involved with managing my corporate finances saying what are we doing as a business what's our pnl how are we going to grow that i would always put my personal financial management on the back burner so it would be something that you know you spend 99% of your time on what you want to do with your corporate finances and then you're like as an aside i'll just put 1% for what you know you want to do on the personal side i think that was the mistake i made and when someone puts such little time right uh, some of the mistakes which i if i could go back in time would correct is i would probably start my sip investment much earlier uh, in my 20s not in my 30s Uh, I think that's the mistake number one I made. Uh, the second mistake I made, right, is today I understand the benefit of protection because I have a family, I have a daughter. Uh, today, right, my life insurance is 10x of my annual income. But again, it was something I started in my mid 30s. I probably could have saved a lot of money if I started a decade earlier because you're aware that the life insurance premium is locked for life. So once you sign on for a policy. till your 75 right what you pay on life insurance premium and bear in mind this doesn't happen for any other premium that you tend to buy it doesn't happen for health it doesn't happen for car but you lock in your life insurance premium at time zero for the next 40 years i started that in my 30s uh, anyway cutting a long story short uh, i think when i started spending 20% of time on managing my personal finance better i realized that I would never be a world class expert at picking stock. Uh, I think it's a learning I had very quickly. Uh, I had seen uh, a lot of people make a lot of money, but I had also seen a lot of people lose a lot of money. And what I realized is that my investment strategy 
is more for long term uh, and it is to grow what i have built uh, uh, you know by being an entrepreneur by building out bank bazaar i want to protect my capital and i want to grow it and as i did more research right uh, i realized that you could actually cut through the clutter uh, that you could actually use what are scientifically and data proven instruments to build your wealth over the long term and that uh, you know ended up bringing me to the index fund that ended up you know bringing me to ELSS that ended up also me realizing that certain parts of my portfolio are more emotional right so you pressed me on two questions one was obviously on gold uh, and you know again gold tends to do well in in tough times but gold again i believe tends to be a very volatile asset same thing with my home right uh, it is uh, an illiquid investment you know would i be better off renting uh, i i do think so you know a lot of advisors out there and i do agree with them uh, from a return on investment will i make a lot of capital gains on my home i i would not but i love my home right we are building a life over here my uh, everything we have in our home is something we've talked about something we've picked up you know when we've traveled around india when we've traveled uh, internationally so there's a story behind everything we have in our home and you know we love it but jewelry and home are more of a emotional purchase for us uh, and i think that's been my evolution as an investor right quite interesting so talking about your investment strategy since you you know squarely handle it yourself what is the one strategy you would say that has worked for your investment portfolio in the last one year and what is the one strategy that has not worked for your portfolio see i think unfortunately i have a very boring answer here but in this boringness i feel that um, there, there is a simplicity which can help the common investor uh, a lot of times right we have uh, all these jargons we have all these funds like i said i've answered uh, the question with i think one line 80% in equity all of that in index mutual fund now what has worked for me right is that over the last year uh, the index has done well so what i mean by that is uh, because the market has grown because both the uh, bsc uh, sensex and the nifty have done well uh, i have benefited when the market does well not to say that there're not points in time where the index has been down right so even if you look at a 3 year moving average there have been 10% of times uh, when you know uh, i have been out of the money but like i said my investing strategy is for the long run now what have i made a mistake on or what have i missed on right now this goes back to the same point when you tend to bet on the index you tend on average right to do better than managed funds but the data clearly shows that there are certain categories of funds there are certain types of alternate investments which would have done better than what i have done right so um, again without going into too much detail the small cap category of funds a lot of them right a majority of them have actually outperformed the index the same might be said for you know alternate investments like you really hear of all these startups of all these fintechs which are doing really well and obviously there are some of them which have done incredibly well to levels you know i could never think about owning an index fund so those are the things i've missed on but frankly right it's something i'm reconciled to and maybe some of it is also based on the fact that i do have exposure being an entrepreneur and a co-founder and a, a significant owner in a large privately held fintech company bank bazaar but that is the share of risk i want to carry 
uh, as an entrepreneur, co-founder, owner, uh, and I think the rest just goes into index funds. Right. Okay. So before we move on to you know other questions, just one last thing on your equity investments. Do you invest via SIPs or lump sums or a mix of both, and how? Yeah, a mix of both, right? Uh, I think SIPs are probably the single most important thing uh, any any person can do. Uh, and I think that uh, for me personally, the learning was that it inculcated discipline. So what I mean by that, right, is when money goes of your out of your account on the fifth of every month, you know that you have to manage with the rest of what you have. The problem with the lump sum, right, is that I find it's good in a one-off case. Like let's say that. Uh, i got a bonus payment or let's say that you know uh, there was money coming in from somewhere then a one time makes sense but the problem with the one time is it's very easy to put it off or to very easy to forget it so sip i think is the best way uh, to go in into the mutual fund industry and obviously one sum when uh, one off when uh, you know you have access to that uh, uh, one off right so so let's say that you know some other kind of asset was sold and there is a one off then that's when the one off comes but the sip i think is the best way to do it but do you keep some cash handy so that you know whenever there's a correction in the market you put in some lump sum so here's the thing i do keep keep cash handy but it's for a different reason so i don't keep cash handy for when i can time the market because you know i'm someone who believes that it's very hard to time the market i think that if one uh, consistently uh, keeps investing and one has the ability to hold for you know 5 to 10 years and my holds are like i said for my daughter's education she's 4 years old now so she's starting kindergarten so i have a plenty of time to think about it my other hold is for post retirement i am 43 right now uh, i was hoping i could you know say i was uh, uh, still in my still 40 but I am 43 now so I'm holding for quite quite a long uh, time. So I don't believe I can time the market. So I I I keep a, a emergency fund uh, separately. Um now the emergency fund is more for one time expenses and you know today I'm surprised uh, the number of expenses that can be lump sum expenses that you need to uh, pay for, right? So I think all of us are aware summer's over. You know, one who's anyone who's taken a holiday realizes that today a holiday is quite expensive so you know that's a lump sum you know one needs to plan for every year but i've realized that even school fees is now so expensive right uh, uh, it is a considerable amount that you need to actually plan to keep aside in order to be able to pay in march of every year and obviously an emergency fund right because you know you never know when you need money urgently and then an, uh, equity mutual fund is not the best place to keep urgently needed money right so you never should have to sell when the market is bad and typically you need these emergency funds when the market is bad so i do have an emergency fund for one time expenses so it's not kept aside to time the market it's more kept aside for what i know are one time expenses a uh, my daughter's school fee b my uh, family holiday and c an emergency fund for real emergencies so how many months do you provision for for an emergency fund just the emergencies part so just the emergency part it's uh, uh you know um, the range uh, is between 3 to 6 months uh, of salary so if you are not working for 3 to 6 months that's what uh, you should have currently i'm on the lower side but you know the the goal is to set aside 
six months uh, of your salary uh, that you can draw on in case uh, there was some emergency. So since Bank Bazaar sells credit cards to consumers out there, I want to know how many credit cards do you own? Okay, that's a great question. So uh, I own multiple credit cards, but I want to call out that I manage them very prudently. So what I mean by that is this is the first expense I plan and clear out in my monthly payment. So on the first of every month, right, all these payments are done. Now, just let me explain uh, uh, why I have five uh, credit cards, right? So um, I have a card which I've had uh, for over five years now. Uh, and this is a card which gives me airline miles. Uh, and, you know, historically, that's what cards were very famous for. But when COVID happened, right, very interestingly, we were never able to travel. So I actually ended up converting all those points which I earned on airline miles into Amazon gift cards, which I used to buy books for my daughter because she really loves books and is into reading books. So that's my classic five-year-old airline miles card. Um, I have a couple of cards which I use actively right now and both are co-branded credit cards by Bank Bazaar. Uh, but there's a particular reason I use them. So I use a credit card called Pinbooster, which is co-branded between Yes Bank and Bank Bazaar. And the reason I use it, right, is um, there are about 100 no-cost EMI, 6 to 12 month no-cost EMI that we run on uh, electronic goods uh, on Amazon every month. So, for example, um, you know, I'm thinking about purchasing a new TV because my old one is now five years old. Uh, and I like the fact that I can take a six or a 12 month no cost EMI. I don't pay any interest and I can buy, you know, uh, a Sony or an LG TV. Uh, and it's a one click checkout process on the Finbooster fin credit card. Um, I also use a third credit card that's also a Bank Bazaar co-branded credit card with Yes Bank called Save Max. And essentially, I do it because now that uh, movement has started, uh, it gives me 5x accelerated rewards on fuel. So I use it for all of my uh, fuel spends. Again, I don't want to complicate things too much. Uh, I manage my credit cards very tightly, but I have a fourth credit card, which is my Amazon uh, credit card. I use it for the 5% cashback as an Amazon Prime customer that I get on the Amazon ICICI Bank credit card. Lastly, I have a corporate charge card. This is an Amex corporate charge card and the corporate card takes care of corporate uh, expenses, uh, which I can then, uh, uh, you know, run as a corporate uh, expense. So these are the uh, five credit cards I have. I hope uh, I didn't overwhelm you with information, Shipra. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But uh, what okay. I'm curious to know is that are you always on the lookout for a new card depending on, you know, uh, what kind of rewards and offers uh, that keep coming up in the market or uh, is it more aligned with you know your needs spending needs and spending patterns no i'm actually not very actively on the lookout right each of my credit cards came in with a specific desire there's actually a one-to-one -one mapping between a desire and why i ended up with the card and i would actually claim that i have achieved my uh, uh, desire and i know it's a broad word but I've achieved my desire with what I went in. I'm just going to quickly map this, all right? So I went with the airline miles card at a point in time that uh, airline uh, miles uh, were the number one category for credit cards. And I must say, right, I have bought uh, international holiday tickets for my family with the points I've accumulated on that card. So it happened at a point in time that airline miles were the go-to thing in credit cards in India. And like I said, I have paid for my annual 
family vacation airline with that benefit so i got what i wanted when no cost emi slash bnpl started taking off i think that drove my finbooster yes bank bank bazaar co branded card because i was amazed to find right that every month across every white good category right i'm talking about televisions i'm talking about refrigerators i'm talking about laptop cell phone in any category right i was completely amazed to find that i could access 6 to 12 month no cost emi not one rupee interest going out of my pocket but i have a 12 month no cost emi on amazon on a sony tv on an lg tv or on a new laptop so i i just found that it's mind blowing that that kind of benefit existed uh so i think that that's what uh, ended up being the key benefit that i took on the pin booster card and it also gives me a 5x accelerated reward on online dining and we end up doing online dining uh, at the big sites right at least once a week so we set aside a day every week where we say we're going to order in uh, and it's a really fun day because every week we discuss where we're going to order from and the pin booster card gives me a 5x reward on online dining so i really like it Thanks. then when the pandemic receded right uh, my fuel expenses uh, started being really high because uh, my daughter's in pre primary so the uh, the school bus was not available so we end up dropping her i end up having meetings all the time so my fuel expenses are over 10000 rupees a month and i just realized that if i can get accelerated reward on fuel and obviously uh, you know i get uh, the refund on the surcharge also so i ended up going with the save max co-branded credit card between bank bazaar and and rbl bank it also offers me 5x accelerated reward on groceries so again a need drove it i'm using it for all of my fuel and grocery and i'm seeing the benefit immediately uh adin do you have life and health insurance yeah yeah absolutely uh, in fact uh, i'd say that uh, these two are priority even before one thinks about uh, investing uh, the reason being that uh, this covers the downside risk uh, both in terms of death and hospitalization which are incredible so like i said the importance is so high that uh, the allocation to term life insurance Uh, and to health insurance happens even before i think about uh, investing as far as uh, life insurance goes i only do term life insurance so it's a single uh, bullet payout if i die uh, before the age of 75 so there's nothing else to it it's a very very simple product uh, i have been able to currently achieve the rule of thumb which is 10x uh, of your uh, 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 annual income uh minus uh whatever loan obligations you have and typically the biggest loan obligation most people and i have is the home loan uh principal outstanding and that's really important because uh when you die uh, if you die while running a home loan the borrower right actually has a lien on the property uh and your uh heirs heirs are responsible for paying off the home loan in terms of health insurance this is critical um the mistake Uh, I made in my twenties. I don't make it anymore. But I'd assume that oh, I have corporate health insurance and I'm fully covered, so it should be fine. But what I've realized uh, through you know experience of family members uh, is that when you uh, 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 retire or let's say you start your own company uh, and you don't have corporate health insurance, it's very very important at a young age to buy your own. a uh, family floater policy so i have a uh, a significant uh, uh, policy the premium is fairly large i believe it will be su- sufficient for the next 30 to 40 years 
and it is a health insurance uh, mediclaim policy for my entire family and i will have it independent of where i work uh, and uh, it's a policy i've been carrying and i'm happy i took it uh, uh, i think about 6 7 years ago uh, because you know i i, I got a, a reasonable premium not that the premium doesn't increase right so every 3 years the premium of my health insurance mediclaim does increase but it happens for a large cohort of customers uh, and still it's much much cheaper than what it is if i were to go to buy a, a policy myself today right okay so that's about uh, you know your investments and your uh, life insurance coverage now let's talk a little about your personal life and your relationship with money any lifestyle changes during the lockdown that have become permanent i think two lifestyle changes uh, one family and one personal uh, that happened uh, during the the lockdown so one lifestyle change right is i used to also you know be someone who thought of um, having a meal as something that is uh, uh, one of the extra uh, things we need to squeeze into the day so for example you know it would be a rushed breakfast um, i wouldn't really spend time uh, with my family you know lunch was at work it was at the computer uh, dinner was probably you know again maybe in front of the television but i think i read something uh, during the lockdown which had a significant influence on me which is that uh, the time that we spend in meals with family is actually the core uh, to uh, our day and it has a significant impact in ensuring that you know we are relaxed and mentally in a good frame of mind so one practice which we've started which i believe i'll continue for the rest of my life is really allocating sufficient time to have a nice sit down proper meal whichever one we can right uh, breakfast dinner if one is in work from home on certain days even lunch but setting that time aside for a one hour lunch um you know my holiday this year was in italy and the joke is you know italians spend 2 hours over lunch but they actually believe that uh, it's not a wasted time but that's what life is about and it also makes you more productive as a professional but we've allocated family meals especially uh, dinner and if we can lunch on a work from home basis it has to be a 60 minute process where we talk about you know our day and listen to our daughter and so on and so forth so that was one change uh the second change right and i think a lot of people have done it uh is just being really more disciplined about uh, uh exercise and i think i had one more thing fortunately which happened which is um drove driven me to it so because my daughter has started school um we have to get her to the school bus um by 7 a.m. or we have to ensure she's dropped in school by uh, 7:30 a.m. so what that's opened up right it's opened up a morning slot Uh, wherein i'm able to get my uh, 30 minutes of exercise in uh, before i start my day so i think these are two things uh, which i started recently and which i will continue for the rest of my life god willing right quite wonderful uh, what is your Thank idea you. of uh, wealth adil great question uh, uh, shipka and you know i wonder about this uh, often and um, the reason i wonder right is uh you know that people i see you know who uh, have a lot of money but are always just trying to under stress manage things and i see people you know with less per se bank balances but who i believe are leading much more wholesome lives so wealth to me right is actually having in financial terms uh, a spend which is smaller than one's earning so i think one is wealthy when you are able to live happily 
within your means so that is my idea of wealth right uh, how do you involve your spouse in family finances a uh, great question uh, i think it started uh, and this is central to uh, us sharing our personal finances which is owning owning our home jointly so she is a co-owner of the property along with me now obviously there are many uh, additional benefits to having a spouse as a co-owner uh, 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 a female spouse as a co-owner so one is obviously uh, banks offer uh, better home loan rates uh, and you also get tax benefits on both sides uh, of earning spouses but all those i think are secondary i think owning a home together is a mark and a symbol of our uh, equal uh, Uh, ownership in our uh, finances together so that i think that is one central uh, foundation that's driven our personal finances the second thing i try and do right and this is more driven by some of the bad experiences i've seen uh, uh, uh you know looking and helping people with personal finance i've seen a situation wherein um, a, a, a earning spouse died uh, and the other spouse actually didn't know what are the bank accounts what are the uh, investments where is the money what is happening uh, that i found to be very very scary so what i tend to do right is when i tend to make uh, investment and when i do my uh, annual tax planning i make sure my wife is cc'd in all communication with the chartered accountant uh, also today there are some easy to use tools for example um, you know i'm not sure too many people are aware of this but you can actually collate um, all your insurance policies in the national insurance repository it's called nia so basically a single aadhar number all your insurance policies life health car are available in one spot and that linkage is possible i've done that right and i made sure that the access credentials are also with my wife so um, you know uh, we uh, are uh, aligned on the investment philosophy i spoke about so in the sense she knows all my long term is going to be in index uh, i know what she invests and what we invest for our daughter is in index so we're not going to be surprised that she finds find, finds out that i move 50% of our allocation to this one company she knows it's not going to happen and i know she's not going to do the same so basically we agree on our philosophy which is, which is the passive index fund investing and two is just transparency in making sure that if something were to happen to me um she would be able to access and she'd be aware of both my assets and my liabilities because on a periodic basis right uh, every year every 6 months she knows where my money is going uh, and if something were to happen to me like with the insurance nia repository she has the access credentials that she can track real time status right So that brings us to the last question of the podcast, uh, which is, what do you teach your daughter about money and wealth? Oh, great question, uh, and very timely also. So my daughter is only uh, four years old, right? So let me talk about two lessons uh, I've been trying to do with her. So in fact, at four years old, counting is a big deal. So uh, for example, um, you know, uh, she collects uh, and she has a small number of coins with her. so we play counting games so she'll be a shopkeeper and i'll be a customer and um, you know i'll tell her hey you're selling something do you want to sell it for more or do you want to sell it for less and you know she'll be like oh i want to sell it for more and i'll be okay uh, uh, how much do you want for this uh, uh, unicorn toy and she'll be like i want 5 rupees so i'll count out 
five rupees and then i'll tell her that hey listen i only have uh, two rupee coins or only have you know uh, uh, two euro coins um if i give you three of these and you want only five how much do you have to give me back and obviously she is not able to you know understand all these concepts but you know this small game uh, i find um, will uh, you know help her with counting adding minusing difference and all those core uh, uh, concepts the other thing i think is just understanding that no matter how wealthy you are uh, there'll always be a trade off between what you need and what you want right and that's going to be a constant feature it's been a constant feature of my life and i think it will be a constant feature of most people's life so trying to decide what you need and what you want so for example uh, she's really been wanting to go uh, uh, on a horse ride and she's really been wanting a toy now obviously these two are unconnected right a carriage ride on a horse uh, and a toy have no connection but the question i've been asking her is hey uh we have to choose between the two uh because that's what we can do and that's what you know we constantly need to do would you rather do the horse carriage horse ride which you really want or would you rather buy this face mask toy that you really want and you pick the two and we'll do what you want this month so i think these are the kinds of things i try and teach her when she's 4 years old and obviously right i'm also learning a lot because i've never this is my first child Uh, and I'm also trying to, you know, just read up in terms of, uh, and it's actually, you know, now that you mention it, it's very hard to find reading material on this because, you know, uh, I found a lot of great books in terms of how to talk to children, uh, how children's minds develop. You know, some very easy to use tools about how to teach children to reduce uh, 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 frustration, how to get them to talk, and how talking actually helps the situation. incredibly even if we don't find a solution but i've not found really good material on how to teach children about money so maybe you know if you cover something like this or you know i find some kind of writing on this in the mint right i'll use that as part of my learning to how how to teach my daughter about money right we'll definitely consider consider this request and you know try to do a story around it thank uh, you All right. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us today, Adil, and opening up about your personal finances. I'm sure that our uh, listeners, you know, have a lot of takeaways from this conversation. That brings us to the end of today's episode. If you would like to know more about this topic, or make a suggestion of a personal finance topic that you would like us to cover, I can be reached at Twitter under the username of Shipra Singh Sorath, and on LinkedIn at Shipra Singh. Thank you for tuning in. See you in the next episode. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.